Judges, and the title of our series is taken from the very last verse in the book of Judges that says this, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And, and what we've explored is that God's people have done that very thing, and many times we do the same. We choose to do what is right in our own eyes. And often when we choose to do what's right in our own eyes, doing what's right in our own eyes um, ends marriages, gets people arrested, okay, abandons children. Um, so many different things gets us hooked on substances, alcohol, you name it. When we choose to do what's right in our own eyes, it's often to our own demise. Okay? It brings shame okay, to our lives. It brings guilt into the lives of our families. And so um, we are just as guilty of this as the people that we find in the book of Judges. And so uh, the people in the book of Judges, and especially where we pick up this morning, have rebelled against him. They have sought after other gods. They have abandoned him. And in turn, they have exposed themselves to many of the harsh realities of this world, namely a life apart from God. Okay, And so God, okay, in his mercy, the people cry out to God, and in his mercy, God sends them a deliverer that we know as judges. We've been walking through the book of Judges, learning about these different judges. And today, instead of getting into Samson, we're actually doubling down on Gideon this morning. Um, because there's, there's more that I wanted to pull, and we'll get into Samson some next week. Because that tends to be everyone's favorite story, is the big strong guy who's just like slaughters everyone. That says something about us, doesn't it? But, um, but we're getting back into Gideon this morning. Um, and so what we find is that God uses these judges to, to lead his people back to a place where they, where they reorient their eyes and reorient their hearts on who God is, the God that loves them, the God that led them out of Egypt, the God that wishes nothing but them to prosper, okay? And so uh, last week we talked about the oppression of of the Midianites, okay? Not to be confused with the Mennonites, right? Which is a different group of people altogether, right? It's like, what do you, what'd your preacher talk about this Sunday? Talked about how awful the Mennonites are. No, it's not what we're talking about, okay? Midianites, very different, okay? The Bible describes the Midianites as being like locusts, just consuming everything, uh, every field the Israelites had, the Midianites consumed it, uh, all their donkeys, all their cattle, everything of value that the Israelites had. The Midian, uh, I almost did it. The Midianites came in and took everything, okay? So took the food, took the, took the livestock. Um, the, if they were here, they would steal your boats, they would steal your mowers, they would steal your, your hair care products, your kitchenware, your Lulu bags, hide your kids, hide your wife, and hide your husbands because the Midianites are coming. Right, that's kind of the tone that, that we, we are living in. And so the people cry out to God, and God sends them Gideon. God appears to Gideon, and Gideon is at best a hesitant participant. Okay, and so God convinces Gideon, uh, you know, calls on Gideon to, to step up, and Gideon responds first by destroying some of the pagan altars that Gideon's family had actually set up, okay? That Gideon tore down some of these altars that, that his family and community were worshiping. And so what we're moving into this morning is, is what many would consider Gideon's finest hour. Like this, this is, if you hear stories on Gideon, this is kind of what you get into. Um, and what we'll find also is that as God raises the, the status and the stature of Gideon 
and, and elevates him to this place of prominence, we'll also see what happens to Gideon as he begins to feel himself a little too much, as he begins to be really consumed with his own ego and his own glory, okay? So uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last time. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and go to Judges chapter 6. We're going to go to the very end in verse 36, okay? So in verse 36, it says, Then Gideon said to God, okay, again, God is calling him, saying, Hey, I want you to lead my people, free them from the Midianites. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. And so Gideon, this is actually taking place in the mountains, and so when he squeezes it, he squeezes out mountain dew. That's where we get this from. <laughs> it's not true at all. Okay, D- don't leave the church because of that joke, okay? That's... Okay, verse 39, then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground let there be dew. So just the opposite, God is, Gideon's asking God, just show me one more sign, reveal this to me once more. And verse 40, and then God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground there was dew. And so Gideon already knew the will of God. He was looking for a sign. And there's there's, there's a lot of Christians, and maybe you've heard Christians say this before, whenever they're trying to discern the will of God, understand the will of God, they might use the phrase, I'm putting out a fleece. Has anyone ever heard that before? I'm putting out a fleece. I'm trying to discern what God wants me to do, what I'm supposed to do in this instance. And what what exactly does this fit in? Because there's, there's passages in the Bible that tell us that we shouldn't necessarily test God, that we shouldn't put him to the test. But here we have Gideon doing that. I think for Gideon, life looks a lot different than it looks like for us. Because you and I, you and I know the will of God. Like we have, we have the will of God revealed to us, the revelation of God revealed to us right here. We have Bibles. Many of us probably have multiple Bibles in our homes. We have the ability to read. We can YouTube our favorite preachers. We can read some of our favorite books. Like there's a lot of ways that we can discern the will of God. Yes, we can pray. Yes, we can ask God to kind of lead us in certain directions. But you have to think about where Gideon is. Okay, Gideon probably can't read. Gideon does not have a New Testament. He likely doesn't even have an Old Testament. If Gideon has anything, he has the oral tradition that's been passed down from his forefathers. Okay, they're the ones telling him stories of who God is and how God brought them out of Egypt. And if you remember, it was Gideon's family that had these pagan altars in their household. Okay, so it's likely that mom and dad aren't talking a lot about this God that led him out of of Egypt. And so Gideon's experience is probably very limited. And so for him to have God appear to him, reveal all these things to him, he's probably blown away that here's this God that he, he made the, Gideon made this, this lunchable on this rock and God zapped it up and he's like, that was amazing. Do, do something else, do something else. Let me lay a fleece on the ground. That's amazing. Can, can you do it? But just the opposite. Now Gideon is probably just totally blown away and he is experiencing God for the first time 
apart from any story that he has ever heard. And so I tend to give Gideon a little bit of a pass, even though he's, he's putting God to the test here a little bit. So uh, this is where Gideon is. And there, I will say, I, I kind of put this in my notes just for effect. I will say that there's, there's one time that I put out a fleece myself uh, and asked God to confirm something for me. Uh, whenever I was uh, dating the woman, Stacy, who is now my wife, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, if I'm supposed to marry Stacy Pritchett, whenever I let go of this pencil, if it falls to the ground, then I know that I'm supposed to marry her. And would you know it, 14 years later, um, we are married to this day. So, But um, look at God, yeah. Won't he do it? So Gideon has already been given this sign. He's, he's seeking confirmation. Um, God is good and patient with Gideon as this willing participant. And so God gives Gideon the green light to move forward, okay? So let's move to Judges chapter 7. In, in uh, chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Then Jerubbabel, which is Gideon, so we can use those names interchangeably, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. I always imagined whenever they're all, everyone's camped out, um, has anyone ever seen, many of you have, I'm sure, uh, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, when they're camped out and they're about to uh, fight Minas Tirith, there's just this valley full of tents. And at the top of the hill, you have some of the leaders of the army. Like That's kind of how I envision Gideon and his men. So they're all, they've all gathered up there, um, and, the ca- and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, God's people, especially right now, are fiercely independent of him. Okay? And in some ways, we as Americans are fiercely independent as well. Like We consider that one of our greatest virtues, that, that we can do it ourselves, that we have this, this rugged, uh, individualistic nature, that we, we don't need any help, we can, we can get her done, right? as many of our friends would say. And so there's, there's, there's great virtue in that, but there's also sort of a bit of arrogance that comes with that as well. And God's people are in the same place that they, they feel like they don't need God. Clearly, they feel like they don't need him because they've abandoned him. But God is saying, your army is too big because I don't want you to think that you did it. And we can read passages like this and think that God is some kind of power-hungry God, that he's on some kind of power trip, wanting to just show up and show out just because that's who he is. But if you look at the context of this, if you understand the context of what's going on, these people have have strayed so far from God and they're in such oppression and they're in such a bad spot that they deeply, desperately need to understand how, how bad they need God. They need to see their need. They need to feel their need. God wants to show to them how great he truly is. God wants to show to them how much he loves them, how much he is willing to fight for them. And so he says to Gideon, it's too many. So God is about to take some very extreme measures to make sure that Israel cannot boast in this victory. And so he begins to whittle down the size of this army. Verse 3, Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remain. So this is, both, this is both a spiritual and a practical thing, isn't it? Um, because fear is contagious. And so is courage. 
If you're surrounded by, by 10 fearful people, likely you're going to be fearful. If you're surrounded by 10 courageous people, that's going to stir up in you a sense of courage. And so the Lord reduces the forces down to 10,000 people. And so just to give you context, the Midianites are estimated to be around 135,000. Okay? So we need every man that we can get. Right? So 32,000 isn't, isn't a great start, but at least it's a start. We've just reduced that by two-thirds. Okay? So we're at 10,000 men. Verse 4, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. So out of 10,000 men, 9,700 of them stuck their head down into the stream, whereas only 300 lifted up to their faces. Now, I don't, I don't know how many of you served and enlisted. I'm sure that at boot camp, they, they wanted to see how you carried your pack and how you marched and maybe how you would field strip an M4, how many push-ups you can do. I don't know if they asked you, how do you drink? Like, show me how you drink water. Um, there could be several reasons for this. It could be that God wanted to see who was battle ready, that, that who would keep their head up as they were drinking rather than, because those who would have their heads down couldn't see if someone snuck up behind them, whereas those who brought water to their mouths we're, we're sort of alert and ready. We don't necessarily know what the reasons are, but the point is, is that God wanted to reduce those forces for his own sake and for his own glory. And so verse seven, and the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. And so God says, give me the men who lapped water like dogs. I need some dogs. I need 300 dogs to fight in this fight. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he, set, he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So I, I love this because God, God shows that he is patient with fearful people. That if you're, if you're trying to do right by God, if, if you're trying to, to honor God but you're fearful, God is, is patient with you, he is patient with you in your fear, and he's given Gideon another opportunity to strengthen his heart, to give him courage, to stir up strength and courage in his life. Okay, so and then the text goes on to say, Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. Uh, and I love this because God's saying, if you're afraid, go down there. And Gideon says, yeah, come on, we're going down there. Come on, because I'm terrified. 
Verse 12, and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. Their camels were without number. Remember, we're talking over 100,000, just tons and tons and tons of people. As the sand that is on the seashore in abundance, everywhere. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream and behold. He said behold twice, so you know, you know it's got to be real. He says, Behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And, the, and his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Now, I've never, I've never been one to interpret my own dreams or interpret the dreams of others, but this is a pretty big leap, isn't it? Like, you have this huge roll rolling down the hill, destroying tents. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the sword of Gideon. It's like, bro, what are you drinking over there? Like, what are you talking about? So what, what is God doing here? The Lord is building the reputation and the legend of Gideon, and he is stirring up fear in the hearts of Gideon's enemies. I don't know how many of you have ever heard stories like this. I, I've, there's lots of accounts out there, if you, can, if you can look them up and find them, but there's, there's a lot of testimonies uh, to, to would-be uh, muggers, thieves, murderers, rapists. Um, there, have been, there have been several accounts where they have, have pointed out a target. They've isolated a target, they've followed a target, and they wait for the right opportunity to try to entrap that person and, and take advantage and steal whatever. And, and they've waited for that person to, to maybe make that turn, get into that alleyway, and they, they meet them only to find that suddenly they are surrounded by 20 large men. 30 large people, you know, 20, you know, there's numerous accounts. Like if you, if you look into this and so many people have, have given those stories and told those stories that it, it kind of goes along with this to some degree that the Lord has a way of stirring up fear in the hearts of enemies and people that seek to do evil. Now it doesn't happen all the time because unfortunately we have atrocities occurring like this all the time, but, but God has a way of stirring up fear in the hearts of our enemies and the enemies of Gideon's definitely in this context. And so as Gideon hears this, verse 15, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. Yes, like he is ecstatic, he's thrilled. He's like, let's do this. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. He's ready. He's ready to call the dogs. So he's getting his 300 dogs together. He divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Okay, remember that he said that, okay? 
Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars and held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Okay, a little bit off, but close enough. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all of the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. So the Lord had them fighting with one another. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. And so there was a great victory uh, that was won that day in the land of Israel. Gideon overcame his fear, was celebrated as a mighty leader. They ran down, they toppled kings, the people saw the wonders of God, they saw God fight for them, they saw God stir up fear in the hearts of their enemies, and ultimately they saw God pit them against one another as they, as they watched. Okay, this is, this is a great victory that God has given to Gideon. This is the story of Gideon that we tell when, when God's forces were heavily outnumbered. This is a cause for worship. This is a cause for celebration. And victories have a way of giving us great confidence, don't they? Confidence in, in what the Lord can do in our lives, confidence in who God is, and confidence sometimes in what we can do and what we're capable of. God can show us some things that, that we are capable of that we never thought that we could ever do. But far too often, over time, we begin to, to separate the link between the two. And, and we quickly mistake what God can do with what we can do. And there are moments in every Christian's life where, where our glory walks alongside the glory of God. Okay, and here's what I mean by that. I want you to think about the last time that you were recognized for uh, teaching a Sunday school class, volunteering for VBS, going on a mission trip, uh, visiting someone in the hospital, um, uh, leading a Bible study, praying for someone on the phone, uh, helping at a food pantry, feeding the homeless, all of these things, all of these things which are good, things that the word of God would compel us to do, acts of love, acts of service, uh, selfless acts that put others before ourselves. You reach a point, don't you? You reach a point where you, you garner this reputation of being someone, when they see you, they say, he's a man of God. She's a woman of God. He's a man of, of virtue. Okay, she is, is a righteous woman. And before too long, you hear all those things and you begin to believe that about yourself apart from Jesus. That it's you who's good, that it's you who's righteous, that it's you that is worthy of all these things. And there's a passage in, in, the, New, in the Old Testament in Exodus 32. You don't have to turn there. But in, in this passage, Moses is coming down from Mount Sinai and God has given him the Ten Commandments. And the children of Israel are down in the valley. And does anyone remember what they're doing? Worshiping a golden calf, right? They do what all of us do when they get bored. They find an idol to worship. So they're doing that. Moses is coming down. God sees what they're doing. <sighs> he exhales and says, you know what, Moses? I'm just gonna kill them all. Like, I'm just gonna wipe them off the face of the earth and I'm gonna start this whole thing over with you, 
right? Because you've been my guy. Yes, you haven't been perfect. I know that I know that I made this promise to Abraham. I know that I made this promise to Abraham a long time ago that I would make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, that I would make his descendants and build him into a great nation, that they would be as numerous as all the sand on the seashore. But technically, Moses, you're from that line. And so I can just start over with you. Sounds kind of nice, right? Like to think that God would come to you and say, I wanna, I wanna build you into a dynasty. I'm gonna make your name great among all the nations. I mean, if he were saying that to me, I'd say, you know what, you're God. So it's gotta be a good idea, right? But what Moses says is, is something totally different. He says, yeah, but you, God, you brought us out of Egypt. You're the one who saved us from oppression. You're the one who, who led us here. If, if this happens and you do this, what will the nations say about you? What will Egypt say about you? They'll say that you brought them out here just to kill them. That's not who you are. And, and I love this moment because, because Moses is not concerned about his glory. Okay, he's concerned more about the glory and the reputation of God. And I think that we will all have moments in our lives where, yes, if we're faithful, we'll walk alongside the glory of God, but, but our pride often has us want to veer off and make it about us. And this is a story that I always find myself coming back to because it's, it's not lost on me that, that, that as a pastor, I've been doing ministry for 15 years. Um, there's a certain level of, of honor and esteem, and Pastor Curtis would, would probably agree with me on this. There's a certain level of esteem and honor and a, appreciation that comes with doing this role. It's, it's definitely difficult at times, but, but there are moments where a person can get wrapped up in that, and they, they can be concerned about how they are viewed and, and what level of honor and appreciation is thrown their way. And, and they can very easily lose sight. I can lose sight of the one who is worthy of all of that praise and all of that honor and all of that glory. And so it's incredibly easy for you and I to, to fall prey to that. It's incredibly easy and it's convenient for us to serve God okay, while serving our own interest. And, and for us, as we get into the story of Gideon, we see where he begins to do that. We see where Gideon begins to veer off and he becomes absorbed in his own honor and his own glory. And so we can, uh, we can pick it up uh, with Gideon. Uh, well, before we do that, let, let me say this. As, as we veer off, as we often, often stray and get consumed with our own glory, this is, why, this is why weakness is so important, isn't it? Like it's good for us uh, to, be, to be weak because God often uses our weakness to teach us something. Okay, to teach us dependence on him. I heard a pastor say one time that if dependence is the objective, then weakness becomes an advantage, right? If you, if you deeply in your life wanna have a dependence on God, weakness can be your superpower. Like if you just realize how desperate you are, you, you realize how weak you truly are, uh, that, is, that is a life that is pointed in the direction of the abundance and the power of God, okay? So how does Gideon's story come to an end? So after Gideon experiences some of his great victories, we can pick up the story in verse 22. It says, Then men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Okay, and what Gideon does here, Gideon, Gideon's right. 
Because what God has said to his people is, I will not give you a king. I know that you want to be like all of these other nations and you want to have a king. You want to have a leader to look to. God says, I will be your leader. I will be your king. I will be your God. You don't need a king. And so what Gideon says here is right on. Okay? But watch closely. Gideon said to them, verse 23, or excuse me, 24, 24. And Gideon said to them, I won't be your king, but let me make a request to you. Uh, Every one of you, give me the earrings from his spoil, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw in it the earrings of his spoil, and the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. I don't, I don't want to be a king, but, I mean, I wouldn't mind a little bit of gold. And what is that? You got some of those collars around the camel's necks? Okay, I'll take a few of those. Give me four of those. Give me six of those. Does this come in blue? I would love that. Oh, and yes, I would love some of those as well. And, I mean, I know I'm not the king, but the garment worn by the king of Midian, I mean, I guess I should go ahead and take that, right? I mean, I'm no king, but... and. The 1,700 shekels, I think the weight equivalent to that would be about 40 pounds of gold. Uh, so your guy here is getting 40 pounds of gold. We, we see that Gideon likes the perks of being a king without the responsibility of being a king. Right? Gideon's start Gideon starting to feel himself a little bit here. Okay, verse 27. It doesn't end there. Then Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in a city in Orpha, and all Israel Poured after it there. It's a little strong. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So not only is Gideon receiving all of these things, much like a king would, but, but he creates this garment that a high priest would wear. Now Gideon is not the high priest. Gideon, Gideon is not in a family that would become the high priest. But what Gideon does is he creates an idol for his family. It's, it's kind of odd considering where Gideon has come from. Gideon has once torn down some of these idols that, that ruled over his family, and now he has created another one. And so verse 28, So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more, and the land had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, this is Gideon, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. Um, if anyone has any of those study Bibles that kind of have notes in the side, could you look up what Abimelech's name means? Does anybody have that? Anybody? No? Okay, I'll spell it out for you. Abimelech means my father is king. So here's a guy saying, I don't want to be your king. Names his kid, my father's king, right? So you see, you see where his head's at, okay? And him taking on, taking on the wives, having all the kids, uh, give me the gold, I want the gold. All of his behavior, all of it resembles that of the king. All of the benefits, none of the responsibilities. This is a man who does right in his own eyes. And, and God knows the condition of the human heart. God knows what fear is like. God knows what it's like for us to be fearful. 
yet he is, he is faithful when we are not, he is strong when we are weak, and he is steady when we are wavering. And time after time, God comes through for us. God comes through for uh, the people of Israel at the hands of the Midianites, and God shows out. But God also knows the bend of the human heart is prone to ego, pride, selfishness, that we are too quickly, when, when things are going well for us, that we are prone to stray from God, that we are prone to stray uh, from our need for him. And so God, God has this way of reminding us that he is good, that he is big, that he is righteous. And so uh, my prayer for us this morning is that, that the story of Gideon is one that we can see how mighty God is, that whatever problems you're dealing with, God fights your battles for you. Okay, that when God turned the Midianite army on itself and stir, stirring up fear in the hearts of the people, that, that, is, that is God fighting for them, that God, this is God fighting for you, the battles that you have in your life. But it also, my prayer for us this morning is that we would be able to see God is powerful and, and, and us have hearts that are dependent on him that we not get lost in our own glory, that we not get lost in our own egos, that we uh, would pursue a life uh, of humbleness, that we would uh, have a, this posture that we look to God as our source and as our strength. And so uh, my prayer for us this week is, is that we could identify places in our lives that we have boasted in ourselves apart from God. Like where, where have you boasted in yourself? What areas of your life have you done that? Okay, and, and as further homework, um, I wanna encourage you, sit down with somebody and talk about this. Talk about this in your Sunday school classes. Talk about this in your Wednesday night classes. Talk about, maybe this is more of a conversation with a trusted friend that you have coffee with and say, here are some areas of my life that, that I have taken the glory from God and I've tried to exercise that over him apart from him. Like identify what those things are. And, and begin to give those things back to the Lord and put the glory and, and put the, uh, um, the, the praise in the right proper, proper spot. So let me pray for us and, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll move on to communion soon. Father, we thank you, Lord, for, for this word. God, we thank you that you use flawed people like Gideon, that, that here you have... Uh, the man Gideon who is so fearful, so worried, looking for a sign, looking for confirmation, looking for assurance, looking for courage, Lord. You take him down and you fight this battle for him. You, you build him into this, this legend and this person who was willing to just do what God tells him to do. And so Father, many, for many of us, that's, that's us, that you are looking for a step of faith from us. Uh, you are looking for, for us to, to be a willing participant. Um, but God, even when we do those things, there are times that we want to take credit for it. We want to take credit for uh, the person that you have changed us into. We want to take credit for the things that you're doing in this community, in this world. Uh, we want to sometimes take the glory from you and say that it couldn't happen without us and that we are important. Um, but Father, it's, it's you that, that has us in the, pro in the proper place, Lord. And so help us to find that line. Help us to find that line that, that yes, we can be used by God, that we don't have to be afraid, that we can walk in courage, but it's the courage that you give us, Lord. And so uh, God, expose to us the ways that we have been prideful. Expose the ways that our ego has taken, taken us over, Father, and help us to find our right proper, proper place with our eyes on you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.